and under attack. And if you're a politician today, you want people to believe you're a Christian. You may not be, but you want everybody, you know, or they're all Christians. Did you know every politician in, 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 in uh, Washington, they're all Christians? You get it? Because they know, I can't get up and say I'm not a Christian because who's not going to vote for me? The Christians, that was the answer. The Christians. If I, and so, so it's a little different. But still, the church in America is under attack. And we need to realize that. The Antichrist spirit. The first century church was, was under attack from its inception by the Antichrist spirit. We're going to look at it in just a minute. Uh, and, uh, so, uh, you need, and you need to realize, hey, even here in America... How many of you know the radical homosexual agenda is not about me being accepted as normal? It's really not. It's about hushing the voice and the mouth and the message of the truth. They don't want to just be equal to us. They want to hush us. I'm telling you, you need to understand that. Even though you, if you, whether you like what Phil Robertson said last year or not about homosexuality, he was brassy. But he was, you know what he was telling? He was telling the, somebody say the truth. It may have come in a unique package and they wanted to hush the truth. And so, uh, so we battle that. And in fact, uh, very quickly, if you're, if you're in first John, I just want to show you this interesting little word study. I didn't take it into depth, but I just, I just looked up antichrist, the word in scripture. It only shows up in first John and second John. Let me just show it to you. So you know what we're battling here because we've got to stand up boldly in the face of it. First John chapter two, verse 18 uh, uh, chapter one, yeah, chapter two, verse 18. I think that's right. If I wrote it, little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the antichrist is coming, even now, many antichrists have come by which we know that, that it is the last hour. Everyone say it's the last hour. Listen, I don't want to get off too deep into this, but hey, we, we live in the last days and then there, are, there is an antichrist spirit. Look at verse 28. He says it again. Uh, and now, little children, abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Uh, uh, that's, oh, I'm in the, I missed that one. First, verse 20, oh, it's verse 22. That said verse 28. Okay, verse 22, here it is. Uh, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Now look in 1 John chapter 4, verse 3. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the what? Somebody say it. Which you have heard was coming and, and is now already in the world. Everybody go, wow. The spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world. One more, Second John chapter 1, verse 7. Uh, he said, for many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and a, and a what? Antichrist. 
So that's what we're facing. That's why we need boldness to stand. That's why we need spiritual backbone to stand up. Not just to stand up and smile and nod and confess Christ, but to, but to, to, to in a sense, do battle against this antichrist spirit. You look globally around the world. You know what? ISIS, they are killing Christians. It is an antichrist spirit. Do you get it? If you get it, say, I, I get it, preacher. Ta- the Taliban, it's an antichrist spirit. And, and it's a religious war that's going on. And so we've got to stand strong. And in 2015, listen carefully, uh, especially with our theme this year as, uh, as the, the year of evangelism and harvest, we've got to develop some spiritual backbone, amen, where we can stand up, not for, uh, stand up for him, not just resisting the evil, but causing the light of God uh, to begin to shine through us. Uh, see the banners up there that says, be contagious. Everyone say, be contagious. That's what we've got to be. We've got to be so contagious with the truth and with the light. How many of you know when we become the light of the world, when we start lighting this world up, we become contagious. And, and, the, and the Bible says that the light expels the darkness. Okay, so that's what we're talking about tonight, and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna look at the first century church and and just uh, uh, learn some lessons from the first century church. I think about Peter. You remember Peter? He's my one of my favorite apostles uh, because he's just good old boy. He's just, he was just a fisherman, and God saw uh, uh, that he was a fisherman and that he could use him. He chooses the weak things of the world to confound the wise. Peter denied the Lord at 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 at, at the moment of. Of, the, of Jesus' darkest hour on the cross, Peter denied the Lord. And, and he lacked boldness to stand up and confess Christ when he was faced with the Antichrist spirit in the world around him. You remember the story. And the Bible says that, uh, you know, Jesus told him that was going to happen. He said, no, nah, that ain't going to happen. He said, for the rooster crows, uh, is it three times or twice? Three times, uh, you're going to deny me. Was it deny me three times? I get my stories mixed up a little bit. But he did. And then the Bible says he went out and did what? He wept bitterly. Man, he realized, I lacked the boldness that I thought I had to stand up against the present day culture that is anti-Christ. And so we all need, if Peter needed it, we all need it. And Peter realized, and, and you know that Jesus walked back into his life. We're going to briefly look at some of that. And, and what did he do? He he. He placed him in a position to get back in right relationship with, with Jesus. And then Jesus filled him with the Holy Spirit there in Acts chapter, uh, chapter 2. And God used him to do a great work and the kingdom of God was expanded. He became a very bold person. How many of you want to become a very bold person? Amen. I'm not talking about obnoxious. You know, you, we think, uh, you know, uh, so you think about boldness, you think standing out on the street corner and being obnoxious. Uh, hey, I'm not speaking bad against getting out on the street corner, but don't be obnoxious, okay? We're not out making enemies. We're just trying to light up our world, amen? So the first century church uh, is who we want to look at tonight, and we're just going to just learn some lessons from them. Let me walk through. If you go back to Acts chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, I'm just going to kind of give you an overview so you know, uh, in fact... Uh, the church was basically, if you, in fact, there's some, there's some passages in, in the Gospels in the latter uh, that reveal this truth. They were basically in hiding. 
I'm telling you, their leader had just been crucified, okay? And they were thinking, we're next. Are you with me? That's why Peter denied the Lord. He's right. You know, I'm next, okay? Man, these people are serious in their antichrist motivation. They just crucified our leader. And so basically the church is in hiding. And Jesus, the resurrected Christ, comes in. Uh, and, and, and we'll talk about that in a moment. And he says, go to Jerusalem, wait for the promise of the Father. I want to show you a couple of things from the book of Acts. Then we're actually going to go back in, in, in John just a little bit. Chapter 1 of the book of Acts, what's happening? They're being prepared by the resurrected Christ for the empowering of the Holy Spirit. In fact, it says in verse 3 that Jesus showed himself. This is the resurrected Christ to this first century gathering of, of, of people for the for uh, during a span of 40 days, speaking to them the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So the resurrected Christ walks back into their life and begins to prepare them for their future. And they were, in a sense, in hiding. But he said, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. That's verse uh, um, uh, 5, 6, 7, and eight. And he said, you'll receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, in the uttermost parts of the world. The world. In other words, I'll give you power. I'll give you boldness. Chapter two, as they are waiting on the promise of the Father there in, in uh, uh, Jerusalem, chapter two, the Holy Spirit is poured out, just like Jesus said. And Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to, Peter begins to preach the word of God out in the open air. And 3,000 plus people are born again. Somebody say amen. And Peter went from a fearful denier of Christ, someone who did not have spiritual backbone, to someone who stood up in the boldness of the Holy Spirit and began to preach the word of God with boldness. Okay, are you with me? Acts chapter 3, basically, I'm, hey, there's a lot more to it. I'm just giving you the Acts chapter 3, the supernatural uh, manifestation of the Holy Spirit is began to be poured out. There's healings, there's miracles. People are walking and leaping. Crippled people are walking and leaping and praising God. It's the church's finest hour. Man, just supernatural growth. Thousands of people. We'll look back at some of these verses in a few moments. But, hey, what happened when all that happened, chapter 4, the Antichrist spirit raised its ugly head through the religious order of the day. And they, brought, and they arrested Peter and John. They brought them in and they began to try them. And Peter, now here's, here's former, uh, you know, uh, follower of Christ who, who had no backbone, who denied the Lord. Now he's full of the Holy Ghost. Now he's been arrested, and you see him in verse 8, boldly it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. And so he began to speak the gospel and the truth to these religious antichrist leaders. Are you with me? Say amen. And then they said this in chapter 4. They, they threatened them, and it says, uh, and look at verse 13. Now when they, what, saw the boldness of Peter and John, Everybody go, now that's important. The Antichrist spirit, I'll use the, the, the religious leaders of the day who were under the influence of the Antichrist spirit, 
they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men and they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go outside of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed, a notable miracle has been done through them, is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so, now catch verse 17, but so that it spreads no further among the people. Let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in his name, in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was 40 years old, whom this miracle of healing had been performed. Let's look on. And and being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said. Now catch verse 24. So when they heard that they were, so when they heard that, what'd they hear? That they'd been threatened by the religious antichrist spirit. Don't ever talk in Jesus' name any, or teach ever again. That's a no-no. You can't do that. When they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David has said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. See, they're reading Old Testament passages. They realize, man, we're living prophetic fulfillment right here. There is an antichrist spirit. There's a prophetic insight about the antichrist spirit that is, that is, we're going to, that we're facing. Then they say, for truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, uh, whom you appointed both Herod and Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, verse 29. Now look, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all what? Somebody say boldness. That with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders might be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they assembled together was shaken, and they were all what? Filled with the Holy Spirit, and they did what? They spoke the word of God with what? Boldness. I'm telling you, that's where the church needs to live and breathe day in, day out. We, hey, you think, man, that's tough. Boy, they really face some adversity. This same scenario is happening all over the world. People are being pressed to deny Christ or lose their head and their families and their futures and their fortunes. I personally met the, some of the persecuted church in in India, I can't remember where they came from, but they they looked. There was about forty or fifty of them a number of years ago. They had fled from persecution. Churches, houses burned, family members lost by the antichrist spirit that was moving through that area. I'm telling you, this is the battle that's going on around the world, and the church needs a backbone of boldness. Amen. 
Because we've got the same responsibility that Peter and John and the disciples had and the first century church had. So with that in mind, uh, let's, hey, uh, let's, let's, let me give you some building blocks. I've got to get my phone out here. I don't want to preach too long or get you. I've got to move through this. Here we go. Some building blocks I see from this first century church in the first four or five chapters here that you and I need to embrace in our life uh, that will help us build a backbone of boldness in our life. And the first one is very simple. It's very clear. They believed. They were believers. How many of you know, if, if, let's, just, let's just melt it down to, uh, to, uh, uh, commerce, to, to the, um, uh, sale, sales. How many of you, anybody ever been in sales? Anybody in sales? When you sell something, you got to believe in the product, right? It's, you, can't, you can't sell cars if you don't believe in the cars unless you're just a pretty slick willy salesman. You can't sell, you know, you, you, you can't. You've got to believe in what you sell if you're going to be effective. And so this first century church, the reason they were able to move into a place of boldness in their life is because they believed the message of the gospel. They believed it to be true. And this is where the core foundation of who we are and, the, and, and who, as believers has to rest. We have to really believe the the message of the gospel. What's the message of the gospel? Most, did you know a lot of people in church don't really know the gospel? Did you know even in this room right here, if I pressed each one of you and I said, write down what you believe the gospel, the good news is. Did you know in this room there would be people struggle about how to, uh, what, what is the gospel? What is the core gospel? And listen, if we don't know the gospel, how can we believe the gospel? Hello. Because you got to know something in order to believe it. And these first century church uh, 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 founding fathers and mothers believed the gospel. Now, in case you don't know, let me tell you the gospel. In fact, if you don't know, write down this passage of Scripture. If you have a little concern with communicating the gospel, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because Paul gives one of the most clear descriptions of the gospel. This is the good news. Everybody say, the good news. Here it is, chapter 15, verse 1. This is how, how come they were bold. They had a belief in their heart about the power of the gospel. Here's what Paul says, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the what? The good news or the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand. Now, that's just hugely important. Before he tells them the gospel, he said, "You, I preached it to you, you received it, and now you're standing in it. In other words, these people were believers in what the message of the gospel was. And here it is. By which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Here it is. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That, my friend, is the gospel. What's the gospel? Jesus Christ came to planet Earth. And he lived a sinless life and he died on Calvary's cross to pay for the sins of the whole world. And he didn't only pay for the sins of the whole world, but the third day he rose from the dead so we too could have newness of life and come back into right relationship with God the Father. That's the gospel. 
Man, we need to get that down in our heart. What is the gospel? Jesus came to planet Earth. He died for my sins on Calvary's cross. Uh, three days later, he was buried in a borrowed tomb. Three days later, he rose again. So I too could have a new life. And I believe that. Romans 10 says if you believe that in your heart, not just in your head, but you believe that, you will be saved. What did Paul say right here? In first Corinthians, he said, you stood in it and you were saved because of the power of the gospel. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Listen, if you don't, if people don't believe Jesus Christ died for them on a cross, was buried in a borrowed tomb, and rose again on the third day so they could have new life, people don't believe that and embrace that in their heart and apply it in their heart, they're not going to heaven. They are not believers. They're not Christians. There's only one way to Christ. Are you with me? Or one way to God? Through Jesus Christ and the cross. So let me hammer this home for you. If we're going to build a backbone of boldness in our life, we've got to believe this message right here. That this is the only way people can be born again. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I rose again from the dead so you could have new life. So everybody say, I got it. Now, look, look in uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Let me, uh, let me show you this. It says, now as they, this is where Peter and John were arrested. Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came up to them. I'll just throw in my commentary. The Antichrist spirit. Being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. These religious antichrist spirit leaders were disturbed, upset that the truth of the gospel was being preached. And he says, and they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word did what? Come on, look at it. You've got to be with me in the Bible. How, verse 4, however, many of those who heard the word did what? They believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. I'm telling you, people are believing the gospel story. Amen? That's what it's all about. That's what this right here is all about, that these people and many, many more like it, especially on March 15th, which is Friend Day. Everybody say Friend Day. Burn that into your brain because, man, we're going to get our friends here. We're not just going to ask them. We're going to get them here. Uh, and we're going to bring our friends. We're going to pack it out, and the gospel is going to be preached. People are going to be born again, just like they were born again in the book of Acts. And so they believed the message of the gospel. Now, Quickly, and I'm going to do this quickly. You don't need to turn there. If you go back to John 20 and 21, you see the resurrected Christ. How many of you know the resurrection is the key to the gospel? Not just the cross, but the resurrection. Two important elements. He died for my sin and he rose again. Everybody say, he died for my sin and he rose again. John 20 verse 11, the resurrected Christ comes and reveals himself to Mary Magdalene. Read it. John 20, verse 24 through 21, 29, the resurrected Christ reveals himself to some disciples and to doubting Thomas. You remember doubting Thomas? They said, oh, he's, he rose from the dead. I'm not going to believe until I put my fingers in, in the nail prints in his hands. And Jesus walked through the wall and said, da-da. He didn't really say that. He could have, I don't know. Uh, he just walked through. And, and you know what Peter 
uh, pardon me, what Thomas didn't do, Thomas didn't go, let me see those scars. He said, my Lord and my God. He became a believer in the resurrection of Christ. And then John 21, uh, the resurrected Christ, Peter's, he's back to the fishing. He's back to the, uh, you know, the old life of just uh, being a bad fisherman. And the resurrected Christ walks into his life and reveals himself to him and puts him back into the ministry. Now, what are we talking about here? We're talking about a group of people who had experienced the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they believed. Now, in fact, what did Jesus tell Thomas? He said this. He said, you believe because you see. Blessed are those. Well, let me just go over here and read it where, it's, where I don't butcher it. He said, he said uh, uh, verse 27. Uh, oh, no, 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 verse 29. Jesus said, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's you and me. We've got an added blessing because we believe this message. Even though we didn't see it, we believe it. And these people believed the message of the gospel. They were born again because of it. Now, let me just say this. The, the backbone of boldness is built upon the foundation of faith in our life. If you want to be bold, you've got to be strong in faith and believe the message of the gospel. And believe when you interact with people that are lost and without Christ in your workplace, in your home, that without the gospel in their life, they're going to split hell wide open in a hurry. They're lost and without Christ. That's the condition of the world without Christ. And we've got, if we're going to be bold and get out into the harvest field and be contagious, we're going to have to really undergird the faith of God in our life and begin to say and just establish, I believe the message of the gospel. I hear it. I know it. I believe it. Amen. You know the evidence that they believed? One of the biggest. This is the evidence that, that anybody's a believer in Christ. The biggie. You know what the biggie, the evidence that you're a real genuine believer? You're an obeyer. You're an o- 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 you obey the gospel. You obey. And we find this first century church. Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. They, they, were, in a, they were in obey mode. Let me tell you something. If we're going to be bold, have to be bold we're going to have to have strong faith and be in the obey mode. Listen. If we'll obey the voice of the Lord and the promptings of the Holy Spirit and walk in faith, listen, God will use us greatly and he'll build a backbone of boldness within us that will cause us to be what? Say it up there and point it up there. Be what? Where's that, the, the banner? Be contagious. There you go. All right. So they believed. Everyone say they believed. Here's the second lesson that I see from this first century church that built a backbone of boldness in their life. They belonged. Now, let me show you this. This is huge. Acts chapter 1, let me just throw this out. They had a sense of belonging. They embraced the community. They embraced community, not the community. They embraced community as a core value of their lives. Now, Let's go back to the, to the Antichrist spirit. Why could they not kill Peter and John? Because of the people. 
It says they couldn't do anything more because the people, there were thousands. It said 5,000 right there. Thousands. I'm telling you, there was community. And how many of you know, when you're living in community and it begins to multiply, the, 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 the boldness factor just naturally rises. And when you look in Acts chapter 1, let me just throw it out to you. Uh, let me do, I, I've circled these. Chapter 4, and being assembled together, I want to say together, that's community, with them. He commanded them, that's community. Look down in verse 6. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, that's community, my friend. Verse 7, and he said to them, Verse 9, and when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up in a cloud and received him out of their sight. Now, gosh, and verse 12, then they returned to Jerusalem for the mount called Olivet. Verse 13, and when they had entered, they went up. Verse 14, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Chapter 2, verse 1, and the day of Pentecost had fully come. They were all with one accord and one place. Verse uh, 3, uh, gosh, I could do more. Th then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire. They sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. That's community, my friend. And these first century believers who were bold, they not only believed, but they belonged. Listen, let me, do, don't, let me just warn you now. Don't buy in to the, to the mindset, and there is a whole lot of people who are. Here it is. You can believe, but you don't have to belong. Let me just tell you, if you believe, you will belong. If you read the Word of God and you trust the Word of God, it will move you into community. And you'll realize, hey, I've got to be a part of the community. And listen, we can't water down community. I thank God for people. I, you know, I have pastoral friends all over the place. I have pastoral friends in this community. But you know what I'm not? I'm not a part of their church. I've got this community. I'm connected. I'm committed. These people had a sense of community that built within them a backbone of boldness. Oh, we could go on and on and on. I mean, <clears throat> I mean community. Look in chapter, uh, oh, let me see. I'm jumping around. Chapter 2, verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Look down in verse 46. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Why was that going on? Because people believed and they belonged. And let me just tell you, I see young faces here. Let me tell you, don't, don't fall prey to that. Let me just warn you that, hey, don't swallow one ounce of it. You can't be a genuine believer and not be a belonger. Are you with me? Say amen. Number three, a third, a third building block to their boldness was not only did they believe, and not only did they belong, but they beseeched. Everyone say beseeched. I use that because it's a B word and it applies to the power of prayer. Uh, hey, it means to ask, to implore. They kept prayer as what? Somebody say it. 
top priority. Their connection and commitment to Christ was revealed by their prayer life. Now, when Jesus told them in Acts chapter 1, he said, hey, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. And he, was, he ascended out of their sight and they went to Jerusalem. And you know what they did? It, it, Jesus didn't tell them, and get together, get all your differences uh, hammered out, and y'all start praying for the Holy Ghost to fall. He didn't say that. Where did he teach them about the power of prayer before he ever rose from the dead? He saw them praying. In fact, they saw it. They saw, they saw him uh, rise a great while before day, and then he'd stay up late at night. He would pray and seek God. Then he'd get up the next day and go out and do miracles. And the disciples, ho, 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 hey, we like that. Teach us to pray. They had caught it, and they realized prayer had to be top priority. We don't know what Jesus taught them as the resurrected Christ, but you remember 40 days. How, how would you like to have been in that church growth seminar? A 40-day church growth seminar with the resurrected Christ. The first church ever to be. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, it's just an amazing thought. And I guarantee you, he probably hammered home because he's talking about the things of the kingdom of God. Uh, and... and, and let me just throw it at you. He said, he taught to them speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, go back to when Jesus taught them to pray. Okay, pray this way. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Hey, if I were a betting man, and I'm not, I'll bet you Jesus in that 40 days of church growth seminar, he taught them about praying and trusting God that his kingdom and governance would come. And we see this working in the first century church. They were praying. Verse 14 of chapter 1. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. They were praying. They were seeking God. And then it says over in chapter 2 that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and, the, and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. Chapter 3, verse 1, we see Peter and John going up together to the temple at the hour of prayer. Prayer was top priority. They were seeking God. And when, when the antichrist spirit came, listen to me. When the, when the, when the resistance came, the prayer, the prayer priority was already in place. Now, this is backwards to the way most people do it. Most of us don't really heat it up until the, the, the opposition comes, or the trouble, or the trauma comes. We just case sera, sera, and trouble comes. Oh, oh yeah, oh, Marlies, we got to pray. We better pray. And we just act like, oh, we got to pray. Listen, that's got to be built within our DNA. As a believer, you are a prayer. And so we, the first thing they did when the resistance came, they rallied together and began to pray faith-filled prayers. And they said, we're not going to stop. You grant your bondservants with all boldness. They prayed for boldness. The Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. They beseeched the Lord. In fact, jump over to chapter 6. Let me just throw this out. As the church was growing, there were issues about serving and how people were being tended to and, and the widows were, were being neglected in the daily distribution, just church business stuff going on. And look what it says in chapter 6, verse 
3 and 4. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Look what the apostle said. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, how many of you know in, in those disciples, those apostles, like that was top priority? You know, I, I have a guy that I, in fact, I'm going to try to go to one of his roundtables. His name's Gerald Brooks. He's a leadership guru in Plano. Uh, and uh, I got a letter from him. Uh, I didn't get to go to their leadership conference. I got an email letter from him. He said, I'm having a roundtable if you'll come. Uh, it's, I can't remember when it was. You, uh, he said, I know you didn't get to come to the leadership conference, uh, which was uh, last fall. He said, if you come, I'll give you an iPad. I said, I'm going to that one right now. He just reeled me right on in. But here's what he says to pastors and leaders. This is my translation. He probably said it better. He said, don't ever let your pulpit time outweigh your prayer time. I want to tell you that haunts me in a good way. And there are times on Sunday morning when I'm in my car heading this way, I'm going, I'm not sure my prayer time outweighed my pulpit time. Or when I leave, hey, listen, if we want to be bold, We've got to keep prayer as top priority, just like the first century church. Now, number four, and I'm going to close. They believed. These are building blocks of boldness. They belonged. They beseeched. And number four, they behaved. They had a right living going on. They were living right. Uh, and let me just say it again. Let me tell you something. The culture we live in, we water down what right living is. I'm just telling you. Come on. We can't. You can't do that. Everybody's doing it. It's okay. Hey, listen, it's time we quit dumbing down what it means to be right with God. Hello. Could I get a better amen? I know I'm preaching to the choir. Maybe I should say this on Sunday morning. We think, hey, oh, I show up every once in a while. Woo, I'm right with God. And we live on our terms rather than on God's terms. These people were living rightly. It says, and I've read it already, but let me just throw it at you. Acts 2, 42, uh, it shows how they were living, man. They, they, were, they were continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. You want me to translate that for you for, to 21st century? Are we in the 21st century? Yeah, I think so. 20 or 21st, I don't know, here we go. Hey, let me translate that. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. You want me to translate that for you for today? They were faithful to the local church and to hear the word of God taught and they embraced the teaching and the preaching of the word of God on a regular basis. That's, that's proper behavior for people who have backbone. It's just proper. This is what we do. It says that they... They continued in fellowship. There's that community in breaking bread and in prayers. And it, gosh, you go on down. They continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having faith with all the people in the Lord. Added to the church daily those who were being saved. They did not dumb down what it meant to be righteous and right with God. Now, if you slip over to Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, anybody remember that story? They started getting greedy and they lied to the Holy Ghost about what they were giving to the church. Listen, it, all they had to do was be honest. This, hey, we sold a piece of land and we're going to give a portion of it. They sold a piece of land and they came and said, we're giving all the proceeds to the church. But they kept back some from them. They just lied, trying to look good to the preacher. And the Holy Ghost came upon Peter and, and the, the realization that they lied. And did you know both of them went to heaven early? 
They were prematurely introduced into eternity. They died because they dumbed down what it meant to be righteous. Hey, listen, in Bible days, the standard of righteousness, the power of the Holy Ghost was very high. And I'm not here to be legalistic. I'm here to just encourage us. Hey, if you want to be bold, we got to behave. You, 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 gotta, you, you know why a lot of people are not bold? Because they know they're not living it. It's hard to be bold when you know you're fudging on every turn. Am I right? Y'all need to take this CD to somebody and give it to them. Lord have mercy. Everybody say, you got to believe. You got to belong you got to beseech, and you got to behave. And because that was operating in their life, because they believed, belonged, beseech, and behave, the Holy Spirit was more than willing to empower them with boldness. He didn't empower people who were not believers. He didn't empower people who were not belongers. <laughs> He didn't empower people who were not beseeching. And he didn't empower people who were not behaving. In fact, there's one illustration there uh, later in the, when uh, a sorcerer saw the power of the, with the laying on of the hands, the Holy Spirit was given out. He wanted to buy it. You can't buy it. You got to live it. Amen. Bill's backbone. Bill's backbone, yeah. Boldness, let me, let me just, I'm done. Boldness doesn't just come in the altar. <laughs> it comes when we believe and beseech and behave and belong. It starts being built on the inside, spiritual backbone. Amen. Let's stand up. Father, thank you tonight for the word of God. I pray tonight you'd take this message and set it in our heart. You would stir within us, Lord, the realization that you want to empower us and embolden us with a strong witness for Christ. To resist the antichrist spirit, which is trying to hush our mouth and suppress the truth. Lord, we stand against the antichrist spirit that is trying to invade our world invade our hearts, invade our culture, invade our families. Lord, we pray, God, you would give us boldness to boldly take our stand and seek after you and allow you to empower us with a whole new boldness in our life. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.